Hi there, everybody, and welcome back to the 107th episode of the Desi VC podcast. This is a show where I, your host, Akash Bhatt, bring you leading operators and investors building and investing in tech startups all around the world. Well, as usual, I have a great guest lined up with me here on the show. Sitting across the table today from me, quite literally, is Rahul Chaudhary, the managing partner at N Plus One Capital. India's first revenue-based debt fund. He brings over 18 years of intensive entrepreneurial and operating experience to the table, having been a two-time founder. He first co-founded Denuvo Source, a Chicago-based data analytics firm, and sold that in 2011, and later went on to found Reboot, which was India's first refurbished IT asset lifecycle management firm. But before we go in and talk to Rahul about everything that's revenue-based financing, I thought I'd provide you all a little bit of context into how revenue-based financing works and what it is all about. Revenue-based financing firms typically provide startups access to capital at a premium without taking any equity share or collateral from the company. Further, it collects a percentage of the borrowing entity's monthly revenues to pay back the capital and gives steady returns to its limited partners on a quarterly basis. So unlike other venture debt firms, N plus one capital isn't dependent on future fundraise of the startup, but will invest on the basis of its current revenue outlook. So having said that as the context for this episode, we're going to spend some time talking to Rahul about his journey as a founder, why he decided to become a fund manager, all the learnings that he's had navigating the tough route of building India's first revenue-based debt financing firm and all the learnings that he's had investing and working closely with his portfolio founders. So I'm sure you're as excited as me to go in and listen to everything that Rahul has learned over the course of his career. So let's not waste any more time. Let's head in and listen to my conversation with Rahul. So Rahul, welcome to the DCBC podcast. This is the first time I'm doing anything in person. So I'm as nervous as probably you are. No, I'm not nervous. We'll figure it out. Um, But one of the first things I wanted to kickstart this conversation was, and I kept thinking about it on my way here, is, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, people's stories. We've talked about their funds and how the evolution of all of that comes into being. But Let me ask you this question. We've seen a number of founders finish their operating journeys and stories and eventually go down the path of, you know, becoming venture capitalists. And there's an arc of a journey there and there's learnings that come about, which kind of lead them down that path. Now for you, you've had a very similar sort of a journey as well. You know, you've been an operator and now you've gone back and almost giving back to the ecosystem in a way that, you know, you saw those challenges and problems while you were building your own companies. Mm-hmm. So putting that into context, why are you doing what you're doing? So I think, you know, fundamentally, I think what I'm doing, uh, firstly, I run a non-dilutive fund. I think what I'm doing is providing an opportunity, access and option to entrepreneurs to not dilute any equity as far as possible to be able to build a sustainable business. Mm-hmm. Uh, me being a founder, the first company that I built was in the space of analytics. 
2005, no unicorns, unicorns, no such fancy terms. I had given up 48% of my company when I raised, you know, call it four and a half odd million dollars. Uh, I wish I'd not had to give so much away, but, you know, that was the only option available to me then. Uh, today, as the world has evolved, opportunities have evolved, alternatives, uh, alternates have evolved. I think the fact that there is a revenue-based fund that I'm a part of and, you know, the ecosystem is now seeing, uh, founders don't need to dilute either today or can dilute less uh, with an option of an alternate fund, which is a revenue-based fund in India. Uh, and that's really my ethos, uh, why we started this fund. Yeah. Um, so I'm very excited about the journey. I'm very excited about the next 20 years in alternate classes without dilution. Let's take you back of a few years ago when you started your operating journey. We'll come back to what revenue-based financing is, what it means in the larger context of the ecosystem today and how it supports um, early-stage companies or growth-stage companies for that matter as well. Now, when you were building your company, this is way back in the mid-2000s, right? The obvious challenges of building a company back then is so different from the challenges of building a company today. Sure. And I also, I, I love this one quote that I, I came across a while ago, which is the challenges that it takes to run a company in the early days, that zero to one journey is very different from the challenges that it takes to build a one to 10 company and then 10 to 100. Sure. So you've been through the journey completely yourself. You know, while you've had to dilute a lot of your equity in the early days, you've had that learning along the way. Now, if you were to reflect back on your journey, what are some of the key takeaways that you've had that has changed and altered your personality as first an operator and that experience then leading you and impacting you as an investor? So that's a lot of questions in one. Yeah. Um, but I do think, you know, maybe three things, right? So one, the fact that I think from day one, I have recognized that it is absolutely important to have the best teams uh, available to you uh, I have always hired people better than me. Mm. And I say that with a lot of pride. I don't say that with having uh, any other option in my mind, but to say hire better than you, uh, get the best teams to build with you because no matter what you're building, uh, I'm guessing you're building for the long term, right? Nobody thinks about the short term. Ideally, you think for the long term. So I think that's one learning I've had, uh, be it, the first company I built, be it the second company I built, be it the fund. I think it's just every single team member, even at the fund that we work in today, I absolutely learn from everybody. Uh, I learn more from them than I can give them. And they're better than me. You know, that's just a fundamental. That's one. Second, I think the whole concept of zero to one is, you know, there is a Desi world word called Jugaad. Mm. Um, I think that's a very old kind of colonial term. But truly, you know, zero to one is all about hustling to make sure product fit is there, make sure you have enough capital to reach the next day, next month, next year. And it's also to ensure that you know how to sell. Eventually, we're all salesmen, right? Whatever you do, be it the product, be it the service, be it a fund journey, whatever you build. So I think you have to ensure that you have good people, you have the right team, right people. You have to ensure you know how to sell uh, constantly, right? It's right. a... Zero to one selling is very different than when there's product market fit from one to 10 or one to 100 at scale. So I think the opportunity to be able to constantly evolve and be able to sell your product and service. And third, you know, to me, 
building a business is more about hard work yeah. than just about a lot of people say, you know, X or Y was very lucky, right stage, right time. There's nothing called luck. There is pure hard work that goes into every outcome. Um, and not that I've known him or I've just heard this in interviews or read it, but uh, Narayan Murthy said it took me 21 years to get to my first $10 million, right? right. And that's a fact of life. Mm -hmm. uh, it takes time. Uh, a lot of what people will say, Rahul, and you know, success to different people means different things. But to me, if someone says you're very successful, you've raised a fund without any distributor or whatever it is, fact is it's a lot of hard work. Mm. Uh, I've been away from home 17 months, uh, Monday to Friday, and that's not easy, right? And yeah. that's a hard journey, uh, not in me and my family for sure, but it's just hard work. And I think hard work will yield results no matter what you do in life. Mm. It's just fundamental to you are. Great teams being able to sell uh, no matter what it is, wearing that sales hat at any given point of time. And when I say sales hat, you know, people never should take it in a wrong connotation. Yeah. It means honest selling, uh, truthful selling, but you have to have a sales hat. Yeah. And third, effort comes over luck any day. Uh, so to me, those three things are paramount in whatever you do, wherever you do, however you do. There were like four things that taught me that... Um answer and i want to start off with the first one which is you know humble people feel that they're not in control and arrogant people feel that they are sure and it kind of tells me a little bit about your own personality when you say that hiring the best people around you is probably one of the best things that you've done as mm -hmm. an operator as well as an investor and it takes a key level of comfort in your in your own insecurities and knowing that you don't have all the answers all the time and that awareness is very difficult for both investors as well as founders to come about. And that's one of the reasons why I said arrogant people do feel that they're in control all the time and they feel that they've got all the answers. Well, the answers don't really happen or they don't come naturally to like most people. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing that stirred me. The second thing was I've got this two beautiful quotes from two different founders who have both been unicorn, who have been at the helm of unicorn companies in the country. One said, capital is not a moat at later stage. And this was Chaitanya Ramlinge Gauda of Wakefit. Mm -hmm. And then a couple of days ago, I spoke to Gaurav Hinduja of Axiom, who said capital is definitely a moat at the early stage because it gives you the luxury to build products that you want to build, get customer feedback, iterate, go back and keep doing a good job at it. Mm -hmm. I will come back to this particular difference in quote of two different founders at two different stages and the why they made that statement. And the third thing that you mentioned, right? And um, and this is something that really stands out. And I spoke to a professor of mine and there was, I think Rohit knows about this as well. I often used to go to him and tell him that I want to build companies. I want to build an empire. I just don't want to like stop at like one company. I want to be in this for the long term. And he, he just told me one day, he called me to his office one day and said, why do you really want to do this? Because if you want to do this, you want to do this for the long term. It's, it's a 20, 30 year old, 30 year old commitment that you're thinking of. You're not thinking about just doing this for five to seven years, because right. if you do it for five to seven years, it will not work. Yeah. That's not the mentality that you want to take. So when you have that sort of skin in the game, the narrative is very different. The way you go about building a company is very different when you think about it from a long-term point of view, as opposed to a short-term thinking. Now, all of this is going to make sense. I promise. Now, the fourth point is you talked about sales, right? Sales, in my opinion, is nothing but storytelling. Mm -hmm. 
why does your story connect to mine and why does mine connect to you and if it does then i would love to do business with you and vice versa now while considering all of these to be your initial learnings as a fund manager uh sorry as an operator and today when you're looking back at as a fund manager you're working with early stage companies what is important to you and i'm not talking about from a metric standpoint i'm talking more from a point of view of why are you in the business of doing business with somebody and what is the key thing that really gets you to you know have that relationship with that person every single day i hope all of the things that i mentioned kind of makes some sense in the context of that question because they're all tied into like who you are mm-hmm. and eventually you want to do business with people who are very similar to yourselves yeah so i think you know akash again a lot of questions in that uh, but again you know going back to why do i do what i do so a from an operator perspective or a vc mm. i'm not a traditional vc i'm yeah. a revenue based debt fund non dilutive right? right um the word early stage doesn't you know come into focus for me uh fact is you could be an msme you could be a sme you could be a late stage company early you know whatever it is as long as you have cash flows mm. sustainable businesses you will fall in our ambit of course then there's a whole you know math and science behind how we look at companies yeah but to me you know the fact is that what i have learned over the last 23 years of being an operator a builder etc etc across multiple different companies corporations etc i think to me it's just fundamental that if there is a business mm. um that knows what they're doing is led by a great team it doesn't matter if it's a founder multiple founders promoter you know whatever you know it is uh, operators who know what they're doing are led by great people and by teams behind those people mm. uh whoever we back is not just one person ever it's the team behind the person it's the team behind you know obviously there'll be a few names that always evolve and yeah. emerge uh, but there's a team behind that so our thesis is very clear we will back founders or operators uh promoters who have great teams that operate behind them uh, and that's what we do mm. uh we are not in this game like other vcs because that's a very different asset class for us it's cash flow cash flow and cash flow comes with repeatability right it doesn't come with the future uh we look at the past and the current more than the future right um so th- you know that's my overall assessment of uh the question you asked but it's a very complicated yeah. question to answer in a short it definitely short is format. um and the reason i asked that question is i was also trying to understand who you are as a person and i get that um it's very difficult to evaluate teams it's very difficult to evaluate people and that's probably the most hardest thing to do mm-hmm. being in vc or being in any business right because the first few interactions with somebody people do come off in a different way while getting to like understand how people work eventually is a is is a luxury is, is something that you get to know with the luxury of time right and luxury of experience right so in that context while you're working with founders and in the past when you worked with founders as well what are key things on patterns that have stood out to you that help you do your job today much better than you probably would have done 5 years ago mm-hmm. so you know to me i think i'll bring it back to a few you know basics i think fundamental is the guy or the girl or you know the promoter founder whatever it is has to have hustle mm. uh it's the loneliest job in the world correct uh to be at the helm of a company it doesn't matter if you know you know whatever kind of company it's a very lonely job 
uh, I, I don't want to use the word pressure. I think everyone has pressure. Yeah. But it's lonely because you don't know who to go to. Mm. Your problems are herculean from a salary delay to vendor delays to making sure the product is going out of the door or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. So I think A, you have to be able to handle, you know, A, loneliness. B, just ambiguity. You know, mm. it's just an ambiguous world. You just don't have an answer. Forget COVID. Yeah. You know, COVID is very new. It's been three years but you just don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And so someone who can handle, you know, the loneliness of, you know, managing and almost the perception that, hey, my boss knows the answer. Yeah. I promise you he doesn't know. He or she doesn't know the answer all the time. He's pulling it off the fly at times. He, he or she is just an optimist by nature, right? You have to be optimistic every single day because you have to believe that I'm going to carry the firm, the people with me, yeah. even in bad days, dark days, cloudy days, you know, it doesn't matter, right? Yeah. I think the optimism, the drive, um, the hunger, all of that comes together. Um, I think the fact that, you know, all, all of us who are, you know, in this entrepreneurial journey uh, have to say that, you know, it's give it all. Mm. There is no stepping back. I'm going to go all out. I'm going to put everything I have on the line uh, sweat, sleep, money, whatever comes your way, right? You have to just give it all up. Um, and it's a hard-ass journey. There is no question about it. Um, the one thing I respect about every entrepreneur is nobody understands, you know, we keep using these terms, unicorn, sunicorn, billion, 10 billion, deca. It doesn't matter, dude. It's not cash in the bank. Right. It's somewhere in the cloud. Yeah. Uh, it's freaking hard work, right? Yeah. And I just value that a lot more than anything else. And eventually, like I said, even earlier when I was in the dialogue with you, I think some of this is, you know, just hard work pays off. It's a question of how long you can live in it. Uh, some people give up and some circumstances also happen. You can't beat circumstances beyond a point. But if you just stick in there, mm. sometimes the last leg is the, it's like, I'm, I'm not a you know climber. I know you're a runner and a fitness guy. Uh, I'm not, as you can tell, but clearly I can tell you that last mile to yeah. climb the Everest or to finish, you know, the marathon is probably the hardest because you just want to give up. Right. And sometimes if you just push yourself that one extra mile, you may just make it. Yeah. And I think that's what I look for in entrepreneurs. And that's what I've seen in what I define as successful entrepreneurs, because in my definition, money is not success. It has no definition of success. It's the hustle, it's the work, it's have you, how many leaders have you built Correct. in the firm, right? And a leader doesn't mean you're a VP, you know, these are terms, these are just, you know, general terms, but how many people have you uplifted to learn? How much have they given back to their teams, to the, you know, potential other jobs that they go to? So to me, it's a combination of everything. Mm. I don't have a perfect fit answer at all. I don't know if that's what you're looking for, but it's all of these things that I look for. I think that's the beauty of the industry that we're in, that there is no perfect answer. Right. Like, it's very subjective. Like, what I look for in a founder is very different from what you look for in a founder. And I think there are some things that we can definitely agree upon, like mm -hmm. the fundamentals and, you know, the mental models and how you come across people and how the frameworks that they use for decision making. That is something definitely that at least a lot of investors can agree upon in terms of, hey, this is this is true to like who we are and this yeah. is true to like how we think something should be done. And therefore we, we've seen playbooks being written in the past and you really talked about, um, uh, you know, going that pushing for that last mile, just hanging in there. Right. I can tell you for a fact that we've had a founder in our portfolio company 
who started the company in 2013 2014 was on their last time mm-hmm. 2017 was on their last time were not able to raise any sort of funding he lost about 70% of his staff went back in and said i've got about 3 months of finance left in my bank let me try and see if something comes out of it when everybody on the team wanted to give up he said let me try if something sticks something did in that 90 day period you know you talked about pressure pressure yeah. is completely completely different but i think what he was really looking forward to was not the fact that he wanted to give up on something that can stick on the wall and the early stages that's kind of like what we do right yeah. we throw a lot of darts at the board hope that something sticks and after that is really when you start figuring out what is really good and i think in my opinion correct me if i'm wrong and how you think about it this as well pivot usually happens after product market fit so sure. for that you're just trying to figure out sure. what sticks on the wall yeah. and you're throwing a lot of those darts and seeing that hey can i double down on something here right and for me what was really interesting in that answer also was the fact that um you spoke highly about founders who can keep a poker face mm-hmm. it reminded me of a quote that yuan shanard who was the founder of patagonia in 1984 resonated with a similar sentiment where he said this is the toughest period for the company when they were trying to establish themselves as what we know them today as is you know somebody who makes a dent in the ecosystem who right. really stand for something believe in something while the investors at that point of time did not want them to do it hmm. and the company and the people within the organization did not want them to do it at that point and he had to hold a poker face not in the context of you know leadership not in the context of hey i've got to like make sure i get rally my troops but in the context of saying i'm extremely frustrated that there are a set of people who have believed in what we've done who've seen our growth story and yet don't really believe that we can continue to do what we're doing at scale while holding true to our mission statement mm-hmm. and that sometimes also comes down to the caliber of the founders wherein you've got to put on that poker face in spite of being angry mad frustrated um discontent with your own employees who you know who you've hired you you know brought them into the culture made them buy into the culture and yet there's that internal uh, conflict that's right. happening right that's a very difficult thing for a founder mm-hmm. and you've been there as a founder couple of times where you've perhaps have had to go through a similar sort of a process where you know keeping a poker face doing things that are contrarian is very difficult mm-hmm. now if you were to look back at your own operator journey and you're sharing with us frameworks and your own personal decision making process especially when things get difficult right it's mm-hmm. easy to make calls when yeah, things are going yeah, well yeah yeah how did you go about it so you know it's a great question um i don't know about earlier but i'll tell you i grapple with this every day now mm. uh, you know as you grow older yeah. uh, you believe that you want to empower everybody right true leaders are people who can empower their teams teams can then perform but you know the concept of democracy in an organization is exceptionally hard yes uh, as you scale right yeah. because you want decisions made quick you want go to market fit you want to make sure that you know customers or in my case lps or you know companies that are getting funded nothing slows down fundamentally that's the concept right the wheels have got to move at the same pace if not faster yeah but something i grapple with now is 
you know, I have enabled an organization uh, and funds are very small, as you understand, 10, 20 people uh, to be able to make their own decisions. But when decisions get stuck is when the frustration comes in and you say, I've enabled an organization of leaders, uh, VPs, analysts, you know, whatever you want to call them to be able to make a decision, but the decision is very slow. And then you question yourself sometimes, and I'm just being very candid, you know, it was great that I built this democratic organization without any interference, uh, be a great listener, enable decision-making all the time, don't interfere. But I'm trying to find the rebalance in my life now to say, you know, where do you stop? Because eventually the buck stops somewhere. Mm. The buck has to stop somewhere. In my case, maybe it's me. Yeah. And, you know, an LP is going to call me. Founder will just probably call me. Uh, and I, you know, you can't just push the buck and say, hey, I'm going to call that guy and wait for him and, you know, wait for another six weeks and I'm traveling to the US or I'm, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. So I personally have started struggling with this, even though I did a phenomenal job in my first two companies. Mm. I think, you know, the whole concept of everyone can make decisions, but I think we were smaller. We were not managing money, right? You were in a very different, I've entered a very different world of yeah. capital. I'm a custodian of wealth multiple you know it's not a small fund it's yeah. fairly large uh, multiple people relying on us for capital all the Your time fiduciary responsibility uh, at this point. i have an absolute fiduciary responsibility so i think with this i've struggled a bit i mm. try and learn every day how to mold myself how to ensure that teams can enable decision making a little faster but unfortunately when they don't you have to put your foot down and say guys you know move move the move the button faster yeah. or I will make the decision for you. And sometimes it just comes to that. Yeah. Uh, of course, we have checks and balances with, you know, unanimous IC and things like that. But there are smaller things which I think trouble you mm. where you've enabled people, you've given a lot of, you know, kind of authority, but things just slow down because everyone's busy. The fact yeah. is, it's not like people are wasting their time, you know, and the lower level uh, team members will always have more work. It's just because they're thrown in. The funnels are so large below. And by the time they, perm, you know, they kind of move up. Um, so I'm struggling with that a little bit personally. But in my past, I'll tell you, I think it's worked like a charm in my services businesses, right? Mm. So both my businesses were service businesses. One was in the analytics space, one was in the refurbishing space. You know, I think the teams I learned just enable, enable, enable. Make sure that what you know, you can teach the guys and move on to the next thing mm. and make sure that they do it well. And I promise you, the minute you give responsibility, most people treat it very seriously and they want to excel in their jobs or their, you know, whatever portfolio they've been given. Uh, most of them, I would say, yeah. you know, it's a misnomer to say someone can't do this job. Uh, you throw them in the deep end, as long as they have the ethos of wanting to learn, yeah. you know, intelligence is overrated. Hard work is underrated. Absolutely. I always say that. And I'm a classic example. I'll tell you that. Me too. Uh, I'm an absolute, <laughs> you know, intelligence is overrated and uh, hard work is underrated. And I say that to everyone over and over. Yeah. Keep doing it 18 hours or 16 hours or 12 hours or five days a week, whatever works for you, you will excel. Uh, don't worry about you didn't go to this school, that school. In our current firm, uh, there is a particular analyst, I won't name him, who's come up from being an analyst to an AVP in less than 18 months. Mm -hmm. uh, absolute, you know, from a, you know, smaller city in the country, not a top tier MBA or a great, you know, undergrad school, but just probably the best person we have on our team, right? And it's about giving the right opportunity to the right person at the right time. 
Right. Um, so to me, it's you know a lot of different things. I've learned to enable people, uh, ensure decision making is you know passed out. Uh, I'm learning a little bit more in a fund structure, maybe. Uh, but I can tell you, democracy is a great concept. It works 90% of the time, but the 10% it doesn't work. It's the most frustrating for yeah. the founder or the final decision maker. It's very, very frustrating. I completely agree with you on that. Because I've been on the other side as an operator. Hmm. And I can tell you that I subscribe to the school of thought that Paul Graham comes from. Where he says, break things quickly, learn from it, move on. Mm-hmm. What that basically means, it's such a subtle statement, right? That is a beautiful essay that he wrote and you can probably read into the the uh, details of it. But if I were to summarize the whole blog or the article or the thought process that behind it was, in the early stage, you need that leader to be a dictator. Mm-hmm. While, you know, when we th- talk and think about it from a today's climate, you know, everybody wants to be politically correct. Everybody sure. wants to make sure there's democratic decision-making process. It doesn't happen. It yeah. simply shouldn't happen in early stage as well because it's so difficult to have 10 people weighing in on one thing. Yeah. Sometimes you need that person coming in and saying, this is how we're going to do it. Yeah. Good or bad, but get it done. If it yeah. doesn't work, great. Get it out of the window, get something else, but get it done rather than wasting time on it because time is not something that early stage founders have yeah. at their luxury. Yeah. But at later stages, when companies get to that growth stage where corporate governance becomes more important, that's really where democratic processes probably make a lot more sense. There you have people who have lived and breathed the corporate environment who come in 15, 20 years, who know what it means to to take a strategic approach to things, have frameworks, have people, have all processes in place. It makes a lot of sense at that point of time. So at early stage, it's very difficult to do that. And anybody who says, I mean, this is just me being extremely opinionated about this topic. Anybody who comes and says early stage, you need to be democratic. I'm like, no, that's bullshit. Yeah. And like, I'll, I'll, I'll give you one small nugget. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but I was reading an um, interview, actually. Maybe it's online. I forget. But Jeff Bezos, um, especially now, you know, he's Jeff Bezos. He's, yeah. you know, he is who he is. I think he had made a statement or in one of these interviews saying, listen, I would like to work six hours a day make three decisions in a day and that's it because yeah. those decisions are worth not billions but trillions of dollars right yeah uh, i've enabled teams i've got you know yeah. this i've got that but the fact is i should only make three decisions even the fourth is too, much. too much so let me make my three and that will enable the future of the next 20 years yeah. as a vision for the organization the rest of it is run by whoever it's run and yeah. daily decisions Quarterly, yearly, I remember this. Quarterly, yearly are already made by decision makers. My job is to make the three for the next 20 years. Uh, And that's a great statement, right? Make small, uh, very few, but these are gigantic visionary decisions. Because you need that vision to come from somewhere, from the leader, from somebody who's been there from probably day one or has seen that growth story of a company. And somebody who can tell you and write that vision down on paper or just put it put into writing in some way, shape or form, how you get there is not important. But you getting there is important. And along the right. way, if you have, you know, like you said, leaders who can enable that vision and bring that to life, that is who a real leader uh, is and what the true job of a leader actually should be. Should be. Right. And eventually in the early stage, you are, you know, in, the, in, in zero to one stages, right? You're more of a breaker. 
correct in the 10 1 to 10 stage or 100 stage whatever you want to call it you're more often enabler yeah your role as a ceo becomes less about day to day and more about the big picture yeah. like how do you enable more people to come into the organization and and empower them with key decision making um capability so that they can make those decisions fundamentally but enabling you to like reach the target that you want right right you also made a very good point there with respect to um you know somebody on your team and the fact that hard work will always beat talent yeah. if talent does not work hard and that has always stuck with me you act it's funny you say that because that's something that my great grandfather told me a long time ago mm-hmm. and i believe that i don't think i'm the smartest person in any room sure i've had imposter syndrome my entire life even more so when i moved to the us but i felt every room i walked into was like damn man everybody here is smart i'm not i'm not even one tenth of anybody sure but one thing that i've done more than anybody else is i've worked my ass off right and i'll give you a small instance as well i, I don't know if i mentioned this to you i was always fascinated about going and working at a football club i talked to you yeah, yeah, i went i eventually uh, yeah. ended up getting a gig yeah but when i first moved to new york um i wanted to work for the city football group because mm-hmm. they were the only ones in the yeah, us yeah. right i tried writing an uh, an email cold emails linkedin outreaches called people up at the club obviously no one replied to me because i'm just another guy yeah a lot of fans who want to go and work at city football group but then one thing struck me i said okay can i think out of the box here i bought tickets every single home game that entire season and all i did was go up to anybody wearing a badge introduce myself and say if there's ever an opportunity keep me in mind i didn't watch the game at all and never watched any of the home games at one point sixth or seventh game this guy stops me and says are you not watching the games i'm like no i'm just here to like make sure that i make an impression on somebody and that somebody takes a bet on me nine months later i got a call back from city football group saying we've got an opening here do you want to come and work with us congratulations and yeah. i said no brainer i definitely will but that's what i mean by i was definitely not talented if you had put me in the room as somebody else you know in terms of like you know pound for pound as they say in boxing maybe i would have come short maybe i would have won we and, never know and you see akash in that statement or in that event of six games or seven or the season or whatever you did i think you brought in a lot of facets of everything we've talked about right there's a hustle yeah there is a commitment to keep going on and on without the end result being known yeah there is the fact that it's hard work you don't have money i'm guessing you're not some rich kid you're going back again and again and yeah. again without any outcome without knowing what it is uh you clearly are not a typical american kid who's going into you know the soccer field so i think each facet by itself provides or you know guides us towards saying it's consistency hard work yeah. determination just the ability to say i don't care what it is i will mm. somehow make an impression uh and to me all of that you know is what a true enabler founder you know whatever yeah. uh, success recipe is hard work right absolutely um and i think in your case what you your what you highlighted is absolutely true yeah and what i was trying to get to with that example right is today when you're looking at founders you're speaking to founders every single day does the story really matter too much or is it just the numbers That no matter. but again you know akash i think maybe to to our fund and you know we are the only revenue based debt fund in the country yeah again i'll say this with you know we don't look at the future we care about the past, past and, and the, the present. present 
uh, we would have seen the revenue, right? So uh, we understand what's happening. Yeah. We don't bet on, I don't need to be thinking yeah. 10, 12, 15, 20 years out. Um, what we need to know is the founder, promote, you know, whatever, whoever it is, has proven himself consistently. And there is nothing to be beat current data or past data. The future data, who knows? It's a bet. But mm -hmm. the past and current is in paper. Mm -hmm. It's led by numbers. It's led by audit. It's led by GST. Yeah. So for us, it's that along with the founder having the ability mm. to able to be able to handle certain situations like a COVID or ups yeah. and downs, which happen in business every day. Right. Right. So to me, again, I you know, I, it's very hard because you wear a very VC led hat. Mm. Uh, I'm not a traditional VC, right? Yeah. So I'm a non dilutive VC in that sense. Uh, so the past matters, the current matters, and mm. that's it. Some of the future will, but short term. Right. Um, and we bet on not just the promoter, but we bet on all the numbers that he or she has already fulfilled. Right. Uh, and there's a science and math to that. It's a very different science and math, mm. but there's a science and math to that. I think that's a great segue into revenue-based financing and what the whole concept is. And we'll get into that um, in, the, in, in this segment. You talked about how... 10 to 12 years or 15 years don't really matter in the context of the companies that you invest in. And it's the past and the present that's really important. How do you take into account Black Swan events? You know, we've seen GST, we've seen demonetization, we've seen COVID. These are, you know, in what anybody would call Black Swan events because you never see this coming. This is an yeah. outlier. Yeah. Now, in such kind of cases, predictability of revenue becomes slightly difficult. You know, while we may build a very robust infrastructure for um, you know small businesses and businesses in the country to continue to sustain itself. And while we have not seen the global economic slowdown really affect India as such, as it has in other parts of the world, Europe has really taken a big hit. Yeah. We have not seen that. But there will be some black swan events that might be very relevant to India as such in the coming few years. Mm -hmm. How do you put into context black swan events with respect to how your fund looks at just the past and the present, but not really looking to the future. How many minutes do I have for this question? <laughs> uh, so, you know, very quickly. Yeah. We have made 36 investments in 18 months. Huh. We have allocated 300 odd crores across these 36, you know, so call it about a million and a half million dollar odd checks. Sure. Um, you know, to us, the whole concept of a black swan, mm. our fund started in May end of 2021. We had seen years of data for all these companies, including COVID-1 and 2. COVID-1 was March of March. 22, you know, the first quarter. And then COVID-2 was really kind of the Jan to March again, right? Mm. So we'd seen the cycles of all these businesses that we funded. Please remember the average age of the portfolio company today is approximately 8.7 years. Mm -hmm. uh, so fairly long gestated. Yeah. Uh, second, net revenue. We don't understand the GME concept as well. We understand net. So net is about 70 to 100 crores, which is pretty significant yeah. as a company. Now, there are many companies that did go, I mean, without naming the company, there was a unicorn-ish company, which is in the late stage, which was doing 24, 25 odd crores, I think, in net revenue, uh, COVID-1, which was March 20 to kind of the next one quarter, fell down to four and a half crores. Yeah, it happened. Mm. But we lent to them only after about 10 months of that. So we saw that cycle, saw them come through the wave, go up, steady out, and then we started lending. 
So for us, I think firstly, we were very lucky. You know, business is also about a little bit of timing. We came in after COVID one and two. So we saw great businesses being built, COVID being, you know, kind of a, a dampener in some cases, but there's an inverse to that, right? We've actually funded a cloud kitchen uh, based out of Bangalore. I won't name the company. Uh, Pre-COVID was maybe at about two and a half, three crores of net revenue. Post-COVID, it just flew, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, these guys are doing eight, nine crores of revenue a month. Um, so some of our portfolio, I, w- I would say about 60% of the portfolio are companies that have massively benefited mm-hmm. from eat, eat from home, work from home, etc 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 40% of them you know may have felt a dip for the first 12 months but eventually when you got used to this new way of life i think their businesses have picked up again um so i think for us fundamentally i don't think the industries we've supported the businesses we've supported have had that much black swan event now saying that i think the world is going through a tectonic shift right uh, I am, a, you know, I am just, you know, and, you know, unfortunate that, you know, someone like Mr. Rakesh Chunjumala has passed away, but he always said, right, he is bullish about India for the next hundred years. Yeah. I am bullish about India. I believe the consumption story is not going to end. The wheels are not going to stop. Yes, we'll have some ebbs and flows. Eventually there is, you know, the world is a small place. It's a, it's a circular economy. Yeah. Uh, you'll feel something, but we are 1.4 billion people. It's hard to just you know, jam the wheel and say, this is going to stop. Mm. So I think no matter what black swan comes, uh, there will be some ebb and flow, but I don't think it's going to make, we're, we're not, I, I hate saying this, we're unstoppable, I think. Right. Uh, as an economy, as a nation, as businesses, you know, the government has played a great, you know, role, be it make in India, be it manufacturing, be it defense, be it domestic consumption, be it agriculture. I mean, you just touch any sector, right? Yeah. You don't, you, you don't have to look far. Any city, any sector, I mean, you, you and me are sitting in the US right now. I still have to go to a store and I can use cash. Mm. Who the hell uses cash in India, man? You Nobody can does. go to a bloody panwala in, forget tier one. You can go to tier two, tier three city, use your phone, use your QR code, use whatever, yeah. any payment gateway and you're done, right? So I think, you know, I don't know what Black Swan event can happen. I think COVID has played itself out to a certain extent. We're all right. back. Uh, where you and me are sitting today in San Francisco, you know, tech offices are empty. You mm. come to Bangalore right now, or Hyderabad or Delhi, offices are, back. you know, back. They're yeah. bustling. Uh, people do believe that productivity is higher. They're going back to work. So cabs are working more. Food is, you know, food is getting ordered. So the economy in general is just, you know, hustling yeah. uh, and thriving. So I'm not sure we understand what other Black Swan event is going to happen. Um, yes, I do think there are some things that I have slowed down. But I think they'll pick up. I, mm-hmm. You know, that's, again, this is me being an eternal optimist. Uh, yes, we are a little more careful about credit appraisal right. than we were before. Uh, we do think, you know, whatever happens in the globe does permeate a little bit, you know, into India today. Yeah. I think it was much more earlier. True. Today, the effect is not that much. So we are being a little more cautious in our approach to lending. We are being a little more, if we would have given out, call it a million dollars, you know, earlier, six months ago, Maybe we pared that down to half a million. Mm. Uh, but saying that, honestly, 36 of our businesses that we've funded, not a single issue in all 36. Um, again, it'll take some time maybe uh, for us to understand the real effects. But so far, I think we're fine. 
a couple of questions that kind of stand out in that segment. And yes, I'm as bullish as you are about the India story. I think it is so true. The next hundred years is India's um, to 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 win to to dominate. A few things came into mind because you talked about this one particular company, Ghost Kitchen, which probably was doing a couple of crores in revenue and is doing closer towards nine or ten right now. And you also touched upon companies that were doing ninety to hundred crores. Yeah. So there's a wide range of companies that you're willing to like back. Now, when it comes to such a big bracket, right? And I was thinking about this on my train ride here as well. Like, how do you really operate with with respect to standardization of metrics? Because you may look at a company that's doing a couple of crores in revenue and you have somebody who's doing 100 crores of revenue. But at the end of the day, to underwrite some sort of financing, there needs to be a standardization or a model that needs to take into account all of this and kind of make sense. Now, that could be something that's a little bit more scientific and mathematical, mm-hmm. wherein you input numbers and you get an output in the end saying, this is the capital allocation that we perhaps can afford, yeah. given the market and where we are. Or... It could be more theoretical and intuition and thesis-led where you start evaluating businesses from a different lens altogether and say, Acha, now maybe this is a company that since we've seen historical, we've seen present, this great team, all the things that you mentioned, why you're bullish on backing founders in the country. Which approach do you take? How do you then standardize this to ensure that you can write a 2 million check and you can also write, uh, if required, a bigger check size? So, you know, a couple of things, I think, fundamentally, uh, on, at the umbrella level, debt has one principle, and that principle is called discipline. Mm. Right? So debt is about discipline. Right. Uh, you do not get carried away with fluctuations, capital just pouring in all over the world. We've seen what's happened over the last two years. Uh, debt is about discipline, discipline, and discipline. There's a concept called the swimming lane, yeah. which all swimmers will use. Um, you have to live in your swimming lane. So right. that's principle number one at an umbrella level. That's very similar um, to a public markets investing as well. When you take a look at what Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger say, correct, correct. they're like, no matter what it is, upturn, downturn, stick to your so, investment. Exactly. So I think one is, you know, we are very disciplined. Hmm. Uh, I, our teams, I, or, you know, whoever operates the business will never get carried away and we cannot get carried away because we've led the fund with certain principles in mind these principles cannot be broken by me, by the other managing partner, by any, you know, whoever it is, it doesn't matter. Right. Now, saying that, you know, the fact is our fund is not just a, you know, compilation of core thesis driven investments, but the fact that we will look at about 27 parameters, right? Wow. These 27 parameters cannot be broken. Even okay. if one is broken, it's not going through. What are those 27? So without uh, maybe giving, not all. Yeah, maybe we, without giving all, right? Yeah. They're based of three families. Uh-huh. Very simple. Uh, I can make it sound extremely sexy and all of that, but you know, it's a simple algorithm, but even more simplified is an Excel spreadsheet. Mm. 27 parameters based of three families. Family number one, what is the quality of the entrepreneur, promoter, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Did you go to a top tier business school, MBA school? Uh, engineering school it does not mean if you did not go you can't do well right. but there's a reason why we believe in that thesis are you in the top six cities of the country do you mm-hmm. operate in these top six cities it doesn't mean that if you don't operate in six cities you can't. i mean there is a bustling india bharat you know yeah. all of this more than me but wherever our hands and legs can go is where we can lend otherwise we can't right right i am not a online lender i am not a online 
you know, the desk which will go and give some credit. I need to touch the business. I need to feel the business. I need to know the customer. I need to go and touch the factory or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. um, do you have a civil score of a certain type? Absolutely. If you don't, it's out of the door. Have you been a second time operator? Absolutely. It's better for us, obviously. So there are about 19 such criteria that we take into consideration. Yeah. Uh, if you don't meet them, it's just, it's out of the door. And that's part of building a funnel and building and a, a pure algorithmic acceleration approach mm -hmm. uh, without making any, you know, the minute you start saying that I will make an exception, exceptions fail businesses, you know, and that's my firm belief. Second, we look at very clearly, you know, what is the quality of the cash flow? Mm. You know, people use the word cash flow very loosely, but what is the quality of the cash or the revenue that comes into this organization? What's the three-month cycle, six-month cycle, nine-month cycle? How much, you know, kind of churn have they had in customers over the last year, mm. two years, three years, four years? What have they added on? Um, you know, how many customers, what's the propensity per customer, right? So what's the customer centricity within the revenue flow? So we look at that in a very, very detailed fashion. It's very easy to go and say, you know, he has two customers worth X and Y. But, you know, who are these two customers? How much have they grown quarter on quarter, year on year? How long are their contracts valid for? So we need to understand that. So the customer story is also very important. It's very important. I mean, because yeah. if a customer is not going to stay with you, yeah. where are you going to go out and get a new customer? If you're, if that's going to be an issue or mm. a hindrance, my mm. cash flow is affected. I need to take money from your cash flow. Mm. Right? I'm dependent on that. Right. Uh, and so that is very, very important to us. And then overall, I think it's exceptionally important for us to just look at the overall tag, right? Mm. Now, I'm not saying I need to understand is this a $100 billion industry, 200 It's it's irrelevant because the companies that we are lending to uh, in this format of non-dilutive capital, I mean, you could be operating in a 100 crore business and you could be a 20 crore business. That's okay with us. Yeah. Uh, but what is the TAM? Who are you in the micro market? Where are you in the macro market? What's the CAGR growth of the industry? What's your CAGR growth, right? So collectively, we will assimilate all of this data in a very mathematical mm -hmm. fashion, along with wearing the human element all the time of a VC, yeah. of a typical bank or a lender or a credit lens, and that of just an overall entrepreneur lens to say, does this all fit in, right? And if it does, sure, we'll make a bet for 12 to 24 months. Yeah, I'm not providing capital for 36 months, 40. I'm not a long-term provider. Yeah. I'm a short-term, maximum, medium-term capital provider. And so, you know, we take all of this data into cognizance along with the human element of the entrepreneur. I mean, we cannot lend to the entrepreneur if we don't know three references, right? right? And, and references does not mean, hey, I checked, someone went and go, went to LinkedIn and saw, yeah. he knows three, that's not a reference for us. We will make the calls. We will call Akash and say, hey, Akash, I heard you know Rahul. Mm. How well do you know him? How long do you know him? There's a form that gets filled out. It, get, it goes into an IC note. Someone has to be met. So it's fairly detailed. Yeah. But we've been able to compress all of this in five Right, and that's the interesting, art, right? Okay, um, because we've done it over and over again. We spent yeah. 15 months building this out, um, and so we've compressed it because you know, please understand that an entrepreneur's job, unfortunately, it seems has become raising money. That's not an entrepreneur's job, his or her job is to build their businesses, absolutely right. And so, our job 
is to enable the entrepreneur to be able to get this non-dilutive format of capital in four to five weeks out of the door in the bank account. And that's it. So you asked me the first question, why do you do this? If I can provide an entrepreneur money in five weeks and he or she can concentrate on their own business, I have done my job. Yeah. Right. Of course, I'll make money along the way. I'm not going to be saying I'm Santa Claus or whatever it is. Yeah. But in five weeks, our teams have, there's one metric I follow. Every day of my life, I live with this metric, right? In one week, yes or no to the entrepreneur. That's it. Mm. Don't waste his time. We don't have to. Right. You will not waste anyone's freaking time. And yeah. that is, it's it's ingrained in our teams. Mm. Please get back. Saturday or Sunday, my brother, I don't Answer de do bas. Hmm. Don't make this poor guy or girl run around. Run around. I have done it, man. I had to do probably, I don't remember the number now. I'm an old yeah. man, but honestly, I don't remember 40, 50 VCs when I was 26 years old in the US. Yeah. No one called me back. Yeah. It's frustrating. It's nerve wracking. It's, you know, it's just, sometimes you'll cry. Hmm. It's that yeah. painful, right? So why? Just say yes or no. Yeah. You know, just, and I'm not saying people don't do it on purpose. People don't do it on purpose. They're busy. They're, yeah, there's but, some reasons behind yeah, it. Yeah, there are many reasons behind it. But in us, it's kind of a KRA for everyone, boss. Interest Yeah. Don't keep a person hanging. He or she will go somewhere else. It's funny you say that because and I want to also show you this. I've written this down and I write this down every time I'm making a memo. Getting funding sucks. Sure. Right? It's true. Absolutely. No founder wants to go and do fundraising for six months, three months, whatever cycle it is, because that's time not spent building companies. Correct. And especially at growth stage, you know, it almost becomes a full-time job for a founder while you have every other aspect of the business to like take care of. And especially in downturns and upturns, both are difficult, right? When business is going great, the last thing you want to be doing is go out and just saying, hey, my business is going out on a fundraise yeah. and still spend time away from core um, growth Activities, story. Yeah. And while on the other side, when things are very difficult, the last thing that you want to again do is go out and fundraise because you want to be spending time understanding where the problems are. Try and see if there's solutions that you can get. Funding is not the only solution, but trying to get creative about certain things. So that's something that I typically always like advise any of my co-investors as well, saying if I introduce somebody to somebody and say, hey, can you make a decision like quickly because people are waiting, people are waiting on you. That's one thing that you mentioned. But I want to go back to two points that you said there. Mm-hmm. And uh, Melissa Wilder of Lighter Capital, who's also in revenue-based financing, um, in one of her very famous uh, interviews said she doesn't care about Mm TAM because equity-based investors care about TAM mostly. But when you start looking at TAM, it kind of limits the opportunities that you may want to back as an investor in the revenue-based financing space. I say that also in the context of, let's say, maybe because you're investing in tech startups, it's a little different. But when you were to look at that from a holistic lens and say, hey, I'm probably also going to look at maybe packaging companies or manufacturing, hardcore manufacturing companies, which are not sexy as such. Would you still take that approach as a revenue-based financer where you where TAM really still becomes important for you? Wherein on the other side of the school of thought, there are European and American investors who don't look at it from that point. I want to just understand where no, these two so school listen, of thought origin. Again, I think TAM is a metric. It mm. is important, but I wouldn't call it all-encompassing. Of the 27 parameters, I think TAM is one three of or four okay. overall. Saying that, you know, eventually, you know, again. We are a fund that can give anywhere from, call it $350,000 to $2 million. 
mm. the largest fund that can enable revenue based financing in this country today right uh, that's pretty large yeah. there are platforms in our country five or six of them will enable d2c brands from as low as 1 lakh to you know whatever maybe a couple of crores i'm not sure yeah. anymore but fact is i'm providing you significant capital right i mean that's a pre series a check at times right or mm. Uh, mm. seed plus check or whatever it is right yeah. and if you don't want to dilute and you can get money in 5 weeks you know forget the last 2 years we were living in a bubble of some sorts of yeah. capital you know i call it capital tourism it's just capital tourism at its peak Yeah. things are changed now and they will absolutely change for the future you know what's going on you're in this business um so to me i i don't want to say time is over important but absolutely it is it is relevant right to an extent and i will fund absolutely we'll fund msmes we have manufacturing we have an ice cream company i mean we have everybody yeah there's nobody we don't have we don't we are not funding only tech companies that's okay. that's probably only 40% of the portfolio mm. and these are not tech companies that are earning 20 million dollars a month no right. they're not yeah. they're fairly close to the break even point fairly fairly close right or some of them could be absolutely profitable it doesn't matter mm. uh but we are funding everybody the only sector we do not fund is real estate that is it mm. we're off that that's off our table but rest we have about 11 sectors we've funded so far uh fairly balanced in terms of you know where that portfolio sits across allocation across each sector but you know we fund anybody uh, you have you have a need you have years of revenue you know revenue in, to come yeah. in you've proved it yeah. you're great founders you know balance sheets are clean debt to equity ratio is very low absolutely why not why not yeah you know? and that actually brings me to an interesting point because um in the us you have had companies like clearco yeah and in europe you've had companies like capchase and they've been doing revenue based financing for a while yeah uh, with huge um, assets under management while you've had these sort of players that you can probably look up to in the west you can't really do copycats in india you know those days are kind of gone where india is a very different story altogether we talked about it 1.4 uh, yeah. billion people everybody and india is like a bigger europe yeah like you know in terms of just the cultures languages nuances of conducting business and everything that comes into into place So I know you've spoken about this because I've sat in on some of the conversations in the last few days but I want to hear and maybe some of our listeners also can understand what are the challenges of revenue based financing in a country like India which doesn't you know take cues and playbooks from from the west so firstly I think you know I'll use the McDonald's story to say you know McDonald's was not very successful in India uh when they didn't have a curated customized india menu so the paneer burger sells more than its chicken burger it's a fact of life um <laughs> uh, one of the lps at our fund is part of the mcdonald's world so i you know i i have some data around okay. that um we actually haven't aped the copied in the revenue based financing format any of these companies right. i'd say there's a 25% overlap and that's it the uh-huh. overlap is very simple it's non dilutive it's quick yeah but debt again i'll say this again and again to everybody i say it and i think that's why lps understand us a little bit more is the fact that debt is about discipline mm. how do you lend to a company and make sure that you get your money back mm. the the word in lending or the world of lending it's very easy to give money it's very difficult to bring it back 
it's a core principle it's a core thesis you have to live with it i think we have nuanced our product exceptionally hmm. we have you we have built checks and balances that it will take years for people to uh, do uh, it comes with experience it comes with a lot of learning a lot of wax on your back uh, you know we've certainly seen some things in the west but i think you know in the west it's a little more mature in terms of the economy what yeah. you can do if someone doesn't pay up you know rules and regulations courts you know there's just a lot more maturity in certain ecosystems right i think india didn't have it but saying that i think gst has enabled us if if there wasn't a gst i wouldn't have been in this business i promise you could mm-hmm. not have been because i'm not going to trust just blind audited data it has no yeah. relevance right? today there's also sanity uh, and sanctity of data correct, because of gst correct right i also mm-hmm. believe our entrepreneurs are honest you know i have said this in a public forum people have challenged me and said you know india mein chore dude there's chore everywhere in this world yeah. if they want to be uh, i also think our breed you know and you're younger a little bit but just this general middle layer and you know i, I if you remember i said did you go to a top tier business school engineering there is a reason why we look at these attributes it doesn't mean if you didn't go you won't do well yeah. but these attributes means you probably come from a middle class family your values are such you will never run away not paying you know your loans that you had there is something called a section 138 which is very strong in our country um so we you know we we've looked at it with multiple lenses but customized it to india mm. i don't want to go to an nclt court to i have no interest i'm giving 24 month loan my nclt yeah. jaake kya karu uh, i am not a gunda mai kisi ko maar nahi sakta na mere log kisi ko maar sakte hain hum log padhe likhe log hain hame you know straight business karna hai right so within the product schema it is very well structured customized for india mm-hmm. but you know at the high level umbrella level sure you know you'll say like the capital or capture or whoever it is it doesn't yeah. matter so we all do revenue based fund right uh, which is non dilutive in nature quick quick access to capital short term and enable companies that may ever want equity com- uh, funding or may never want it doesn't matter mm-hmm. 50% of portfolio never wants equity fund they want to build for scale they want to build a brand they want to gestate they want to ipo whatever they want to do right and 50% of the portfolio will say i have already taken funding either i want to gestate or i want to wait you know and that's fine too um but we are just an alternate source and we work with every vc listen mm-hmm. uh, we we currently probably have a portfolio of i you know i don't know the exact number but maybe 18 20 companies funded by you know the biggest vcs in our country mm. um because they are not debt providers we are yeah. right that's not their job they're looking for the upside for 10 12 14 years we're looking for the upside in the short term uh so i i don't think we've copied anybody uh i think yes i absolutely the fact that it was born in the west non dilutive capital was born in the west mm-hmm. but you know if you look at us traditionally uh sindhi families have lent like this on revenue based financing for 150 Forever. years yeah. 150 years yeah. uh the marwadi groups have lent revenue based financing concept yeah concept for the, for the last 120 years yeah uh our lps at the funds in india are largest families because today they don't want to do it because it's more complicated how many deals would you track you might as well join a fund and you know give them a large check and get the similar irr mm. they would have got anyways right mm. so but in india we've done this effectively as families for donkeys of years i promise right. you we've just put it under a fund umbrella structure 
made it very very amenable to be able to done to be done very quickly fond of friendly yeah in terms of the yeah. structure yeah two things stood out to me in that particular segment and i asked this because i know my audience really well some of them may or may not really understand revenue based financing so if this question comes across as extremely basic it's it's with a reason right mm-hmm. you said that you work with a number of well known vcs in the country now why would a vc want to work with somebody like you when they can lend capital in exchange of equity increase their stake in that particular company hopeful that that eventually gives them some sort of sure. exit and you know that making money in the end as opposed to working somebody alongside you how does that story so you know that again it's a very hard lots of different equations in built into this question but let me tell you this yeah if i am a founder mm. who's doing exceptionally well mm. and my metrics are being met you know i i let, let's just call myself the superman founder yeah you know what i will do what i exactly want to do so just because a vc wants <laughs> to put money i may not you want may to have, take right. money that's one yeah second vcs also have to limit certain ways that they work right mm. they may not want to go all in beyond a point at times i mm. mean they have given a certain amount of allocation they own a certain amount of ownership they may want to spread their bets what is a vc do right he spreads he mm. or she is spreading their bets across a portfolio of 10 12 40 depending on what the thesis is sure uh third sometimes you cannot get money in the next 6 weeks it may not happen a vc mm. needs a lot more in depth diligence there may be a global fund behind this there may be multiple partners everyone needs to build a thesis you know so it, it takes time right so i don't think there is a size fits all yeah. and fourthly at times absolutely a founder will say i've diluted enough mm-hmm. i'm not willing to dilute mm-hmm. and that's fine too uh, but a vc will ensure that he every vc all of us we're all part of the same community we want the founder to succeed we mm-hmm. want the founder to flourish uh, i in absolutely every vc i've ever met i've been with um i think all of us the dna is the same everyone wants success out yeah. of the out of the founder yeah. if it's vested interest not it doesn't matter but it's just let the founder succeed right, right. and so i you know it's multiple things i i cannot i don't want to dilute today mm. because i'm doing really well i'd like to see my valuation go up so i'll, I'll just take this round for the next 12 months mm-hmm. i don't want to take vc money anymore i just want to build my own business and you know i've diluted enough mm. third i want capital really quickly Mm. a vc will not be able to fulfill their obligations yeah. uh, within their structure in 5 weeks that's highly possible and fifth let me balance the dilution let me take x from the vc and y from that's n plus 1 or a revenue based fund in our case with the only one for now but you know whatever right mm. so it could be a balance right yeah. so there there's no right answer to all of this right um, but a vc would always call us right because if he or she knows that the founder needs money and it doesn't fit all these different sets of criterion yeah. we should be their port of call and we are uh, yeah. i mean i don't know the exact number but you name the vc we probably are working with yeah. them uh, across their portfolio it's a bad analogy but you are a you are that rich uncle <laughs> that somebody calls in case that the bank is not able to like give you something in it's a bad ex- example sure, that i'm sure, comparing sure, to sure. but here the bank is the fund and the rich uncle is you wherein you have that liquidity to like share because that's the thesis that's where that's where you operate and you want to give it to somebody who is one being cognizant about how they are going about with their company building process to like you said they may be you know 
almost profitable. Their revenues are already doing good. They've probably had a very good upturn. And therefore, they're being cognizant about how they structure their cap table going forward. Right. And they don't want to dilute themselves. Smartest of founders obviously don't want to do it because I think the learning has come about. Yeah. Wherein they understand that the more the more equity that you own, it's actually better for the business in the long run. So yeah, it's a bad analogy, but it makes sense to an extent. You know, I think yes and no, because again, you know, to me, a lot of people have asked me personally, yeah. uh, you know, how do you make sure that, you know, you're not getting carried away in this whole credit space. It's mm. a very, it's a lot of people have died in credit, right? Mm. Um, but again, I'll, I'll tell you this, just because a VC has funded a business, it has no relevance yeah. in our life, right? Correct. We are fully agnostic. We are just completely agnostic. We will make our own decision. Yeah. Unlike there are other industries and alternates where only if a VC comes in, will they lend money? Mm. We are not like that. It doesn't matter. We see hair, and I love all of them. Yeah. They're great friends, but it's it has no relevance in our life. Yeah, uh, that's like insurance for somebody. Absolutely, somebody that's for them. some industries in the yeah. debt space. It's insurance for them. Yeah, because they're hoping that that insurance cover of the capital that's sitting in the bank, my insurance cover is cash flow. Yeah, what have you done? Where are you today? Mm-hmm. The the future will just about cover if at all. Right. Uh, and so, you know, I don't want to call myself a bank or the analogy used, but we will do our independent analysis. Uh, we don't, we, we don't even need to see anyone's IC note. Hai. Hame koi lena dena mm. apna IC note hai, apna analysis hai. Mm. Uh, so yeah, but we do have just like a fund, mm. we have captive capital sitting with us yeah. and we can deploy it. Yeah. Uh, I need to earn my yield. I need to deploy money, obviously, yeah. but we have captive capital. I don't need to go to some, that yeah. is for sure. I don't have to go to 15 committees like a traditional bank. Uh, there's an IC. It's unanimous in nature and we'll make a decision. And like I said, one week, yes, no. Five weeks, advanced diligence and money mm. in the bank. Couple of questions. This is turning out to be like a fantastic 101 with respect to revenue-based financing. What didn't the LPs initially understand about revenue-based financing when you were pitching your fund? You know, many things. Firstly, I'm a first-time fund manager. I mean, just, you know, classic, right? Yeah. Um, but somebody had to start it, right? You, like sure, you said, nobody sure. was doing it. No, nobody had done it in a fund yeah. structure. There were platforms in our country. You right. know, there are six or seven of them who've yeah. done it in a platform structure. Uh, they'll syndicate money or they've raised equity capital, etc. Yeah. Uh, at my stage of life, I was very clear between me and the other managing partner. Mm-hmm. This is not, I don't want to go on the treadmill to raise money on mm-hmm. a valuation metric. It was not who I am, where I am in my life. Yeah. Um, but I think from an LP perspective, you know, it's important to understand you're a first-time manager. It's important to understand the fact that you are doing something that has never been done before. It It's an absolute leap of faith. Yeah. It took us 15 months to get the first license in the country. Sebi took 15 months to give us a license. Mm. And, you know, I have the highest respect. I, I want to say it on a public forum. Uh, our regulator beats any regulator in the world. We are absolutely kick-ass. You know, mm. our regulator is the best regulator. Uh, they make you sweat. They may give you pain, but because because of that is why you are who you are. Yeah. Um. I think a lot of LPs had the issue of will companies be will will they understand this asset class? Yes. Will they actually come and take capital for you? And how are you going to knowledge, disseminate knowledge? Yeah. That was uh, going to be one of my next right? questions. Because well. I don't we yeah. don't have a PR agency. We yeah. don't have I don't have a marketing person. I I'm not on social media. I barely probably use LinkedIn to be honest. You might have never heard of me before. Who knows, right? 
if there are some articles, if someone has called us, mm. I may have given some interview. I mean, just about. Right. Uh, but if I look at all the other funds, mm. venture debt and revenue-based platforms, they're out there, you know, shouting and screaming and rightfully so, whatever works for whatever brand building, etc. Right. We don't do this. Mm. Uh, I just, you know, again, it comes from who you are. Yeah. Build your brand, not by, to me, again, and there's no right or right answer, right or wrong answer. Build your brand with 36 companies delivering the IRR review to quarter on quarter. That for me is perfect. And that is what has enabled LPs mm. to have trust. Uh, we've had LPs go from X to 3X in their check sizes within the first year of the fund mm. because mm. they've got a quarter on quarter on quarter return, yeah. right? And that's very important. But yes, there were most of them were skeptics. Uh, we are the only fund, I think, in the country so far in debt who's got corporate treasury capital. Mm. And that's huge. Right. If you can convince a CFO yeah. to be parting with his capital in a fund structure, um, it's just massive validation. Mm. Right. Uh, we have got large family offices, just like most people most, will have, but they're very sophisticated, right? They understand yield and they understand allocation. Mm. Uh, and they have bought into the thesis that this is not as risky as one would have anticipated. Uh, of course, our returns will keep telling you that. Obviously, we've done this for, you know, uh, six quarters of returns, which is yeah. significant. Um, but I think the questions were just, you know, is there is the market large enough? How will founders find you? Uh, is the checks and balances strong enough where you can bring back the capital? Uh, and there are secret sources to all of this. Uh, we've never had, it's it's common knowledge, it's printed, it's very easy to find out its information. We've never had a delay in a single payment in 18 months across 36 companies. You can't get lucky. There's, it's because there is method to the madness. Clear. Right. You could get lucky with two, three, four, five. You can't get lucky with 36. It's not going to happen. Mm. Um, all our companies are, are intact. Mm. Um, there's been no default so far. <laughs> Again, I say that with humility. I'm not saying nothing can go wrong. Of course, yeah. things can go wrong. It, it is bound to happen. Uh, but so far, so good. So I think LPs may have just been skeptics because they've never seen, seen anything. Uh, but, you know, LPs also fundamentally, everyone has to allocate capital for yield. Yeah. But they need to find a trusting home right. for that capital, whatever that capital is, 1 crore, 10, you know, whatever, whoever, whatever that number mm. is. And I think they found that in us uh, for whatever reason, right? Um, and I say to every LP every day, I, I, you know, I, I'm in touch with every LP because we don't have a distributor. Yeah. Uh, we've raised all our capital ourselves and both sides of the world. We have a lot of capital, which is why I'm in San Francisco. Right. A lot of capital from here, a lot of capital from India. Um, and I think LPs like managers who are very, very upfront and honest about all their information. Mm. Uh, and that's something we've done very well. Mm. We disseminate in information very well. Uh, there's nothing hidden. And see, our business is a little more straightforward. Right. There's no warrant. There's no IRR upside. There is no future upside. Yeah. There's no markup concept. So our business, in some ways, maybe it's easier than others. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and so it's a little easier to understand when you get the payout right. versus any other payout. right? So I'd say that. I, I don't know if that answers your question. It definitely does. And we often talk about founder market fit, founder company fit. but this almost seems like a pers like you your personality is such a fit for what you're doing. You know, you're direct. You talked about being transparent, which comes across. And the structures that you need to have in place for something like this to like work requires somebody who comes from some school of thought that you're you're coming from. That might be 
because of what you were exposed to or that might be upbringing that might just be you know just formational sure. stuff that over the years what do you allude that to like what has really influenced you into becoming the person that you are which uh, becomes so ingrained with the fun today so i think personally just a lot of hard knocks in life just like everyone else has clearly yeah. um but you know i'll i'll say this on a public forum yeah if i owe any amount of success even one iota of success yeah. it is to my wife and my daughter first huh. um everything else is secondary lp so brownie points are important no no because i think <laughs> their kidding. support is the most important yeah. thing uh, yeah. i am a road warrior and that's uh-huh. because i have this that's the right? kind of work yeah but i think it's just the hard knocks of life i think we've had middle class upbringing honestly yeah uh, not to say that if you were, were not born in a wealthy family people have not done well and done herculean yeah. things in their lives but i think i've had regular knocks like most founders do or most entrepreneurs do we went to regular schools my dad is an army officer thoda discipline discipline acche se aa jata hai maar war padi hai you know hamare zamane mein maar padti thi it was a very different you know world then you know my daughter i mean i've never said a word to my i mean it's, and it's not about me it's just yeah. our generation right um so i don't attribute it to anything spectacular apart from saying regular hard knocks humble or regular middle class are bringing mm-hmm. um and i think the fact that you learn with experience yeah. is very important right yeah. um i wouldn't have been i couldn't have entered this business any earlier i couldn't have done what i've done any sooner correct um people will call me at 40 41 42 43 you've started a fund it's late mm. but i think it was the right time for me in yeah. my phase of my life um so to, to me it's just hard knocks regular yeah. knocks middle class upbringing but no i won't attrib- i think people over attribute you know this that the other in their life theek hai you know we've done all of us have had some experiences and um so i don't have any perfect answer for this i'll yeah. tell you that Uh, you know when you were talking about that it reminded me of a quote that my mom used to tell me when i was a young kid which is always run your own race at your own pace yeah right you know you talked about starting a fund later in your career yeah. also reminds me of my one of my favorite author authors um murakami who wrote this book what i talk about and i talk about running mm-hmm. in which he shares his insights as to why he picked up marathon running when he was in a regular corporate job quit that became an author but for him running was all about can he push himself that one little thing every day put himself out of that comfort zone his race was always with himself mm-hmm. his race was if i can do this i can probably be a better writer right it is almost about challenging challenging yourself in something that you're not really good at mm-hmm. and then channeling channeling that energy. energy into something that you're really good at right right i don't know if that makes sense no it does make sense i mean absolutely makes sense um but you know i would add to that to say you know i think sometimes you also get better when you're older uh, mm. you know honestly i just think uh, you're more humble you're more patient yeah. uh, you can see what's coming up a little bit versus you know a younger person may not because you've just not had the experience doesn't have yeah. anything to do with intelligence yeah. but to me i i i don't know how to explain it because i have you know i've been in this business of just being in business for a yeah. while right all my buddies like each one, you know i was very lucky i'm fortunate i went to a great business school i lived in delhi i went to the best high school in those days in columbus you yeah. know so you've been part of great institutions every one of my friends who's the best fund manager but they started early yeah and they've risen up through this you know i don't want to name people but they're leading 
freaking mammoth funds in in India globally, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, so I always joke with them saying, you know, I've entered so late in the game, but to my credit or just to luck or timing and hard work, I've entered a business where I am the only player doing revenue-based finance as a fund structure. Right. Uh, and that has given me a leg, yeah. uh, which I'm very happy about. Yeah. And I mean, going go if I can add that statement, some of the best businessmen also started fairly late. You know, I don't even want to go there. KFC started at very late. Seven, exactly. Uh, Since you talked about McDonald's example, yeah. I thought I'll bring about um, the, uh, the KFC and example I think as well. In debt, yeah. I think it's important you start late totally. than earlier. Yeah. Uh, in equity, it's a very different ballgame because yeah. it's a 10, 12, 15, 18 year cycle that you need to wait it out. Right. I think debt, the older, the better. Genuinely, I think, I yeah. think just the experience helps. Because also in VC, uh, it's a completely different ballgame. Correct. The feedback cycles are like 7, 8, 10 years. Correct. So eventually you get you get to the point where you are. Yeah. But what they eventually do is they buy time. Yeah. To yeah. get to where you are. Going. And cycles change. Cycles, and this and exactly. That. Correct, correct, exactly. Correct, correct, correct. So correct. technically, if you take a look at it, they converge at some point of time. Yeah. Be yeah. it, you know, 41, when you're starting off, somebody who starts a fund at 32, 33, the first learning happens after like the first 7, 8 years. Correct. Anyway, correct. you guys can. Correct. So that way... You're not really like starting off late. As I'm much. just happy when I started. Right? Yeah, so know, it kind of like worked yeah. out in a sense. I want to leave our listeners with the last bunch of questions here. Um, I don't even know how long we've been talking because the conversation is kind of like going so fluid. It's 9.30. I thought it's 8.30. Sorry. There yeah. we go. So this has been a fantastic conversation already. I want to leave our listeners with one final note, right? And typically I usually ask people about it's kind of like the advice and all of that. I think you've shared a lot with respect to that. Um, you know, you've been dropping that along the way. But if I were to ask you, what don't you really understand about the India opportunity? Because you've spoken about being very bullish about India. What don't you still get about India? It's a very hard question, man. I, you know, when I say what don't you get about India? Yeah. I, I, there may be a lot of different things in, in that, but you know, maybe some of it is I don't understand the political spectrum as well as I thought I do. Yeah. Um, while I'm, you know, I, again, I'm, this is not a political yeah. uh, forum. Um, I think we've done well on many facets, but it's also scary in many facets. So mm. I don't think I have a good handle of that. Mm. Uh, luckily, I don't play in that that area or yeah. field. It does. It'll never matter to us day to day. But I wish, you know. I understood that a little bit more because I think that will drive the destiny of our country in a, in a very... From a macro point. At all. From a macro point. Yeah. From a micro point, you know, I, I, what I... I don't think there's... I, I, I only concentrate honestly on what I do. Mm. I don't... You know, I'm not a guy who will claim to know 20 different things. I, you know, it's like saying... I think you had asked me this earlier. Will you ever do an equity fund? The answer is no. Mm. Uh, I will do what I know. Uh, and I want to stick to what I know. Yeah. Uh, but what I don't understand about India, you know, it's it's at such a great place. Yeah. Even if it's there at the back of my mind, I probably don't even think about it. Yeah. Uh, because I'm that bullish about India. Right. But only I think political landscape, you know, where is this going? How is this going to pan out? What's going to be our next leadership? Maybe some of those things I don't understand. But yeah. otherwise, honestly, uh, I don't have an answer. I mean, it's the reason I ask that question is because I often ask myself that about anything. Like it could be life, it could be personal life, it could be business, it could be investments, anything. What don't I know about this? That is only to understand my own personal bias. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because when I don't know about something, 
I'm also having a bias internally about what I don't know. Don't know. Sure. And that's one of the things that keeps me from not learning about something. And that is where I was really coming from in trying to understand like what don't fund managers today really understand because of blind spots everybody has. And that blind spot is so important to like have mm-hmm. because then you're kind of like opening yourself up to something that perhaps you could either, like you said, hire the right people to like know it or you could probably, you know, engage yourself in, you know, discussions, learnings, academic studies about certain things or just expose yourself to um, certain situations where you get that experiential learning and that's kind of like where I came from when I asked um, you know that particular question and this was a framework that was taught to us in business school Hmm. and it was a class called organization leadership and success where constantly they were asked us to like think about before every case study the first thing that they they would ask us to do is what don't you know about what you're going to study Hmm. It's a very difficult very question difficult. to answer because yeah, I would come across uh, um, an oil spill um, case study without early naming, but we know which, which, sure, which one sure, we're talking sure, about. Sure. But when I read about a BP oil spill, right, what don't I know about it? Not talking about the details of the case, sure. but in general, just the industry as such. That is so important for me to like know at the outset. Yeah, no, I, I think you bring up a great point. Um, I think it's a great way of thinking about something. Uh, I just haven't spent enough time and energy on yeah. what I don't know. I do. I, I like political leadership. I, yeah. I, I just like to follow it, you know, any part of the world. And that's the only piece I just don't know, no. even though I'm I'm well read to yeah. a certain extent. Uh, but the rest of it, I haven't uh, given it enough thought. Well, no, no worries, because what we'll do is we'll bring you back at a later stage sure. on the podcast and perhaps this, this question will come up again. Yes. And maybe there's an answer, maybe there's not. And maybe we keep chasing that question uh, into the future. But that was a very good note to like end the podcast on. And um, like I said, I have no idea how long this has been going on for, because typically I would have the luxury of my monitor and I would see it. But this has been just one of those conversations where it's just been organic. We've just been talking about, you know, some things that have influenced you, your own experience as an operator, as an investor, the way you look at the ecosystem today, things that really matter in terms of investments and where you see the larger trend moving towards as well. So for me personally, it was a 101. As much as I probably have read about it, but peripherally, you know, just gained a little bit of knowledge, this gives me a lot more context with respect to India. And that, I think, is something that a lot of our listeners also will take away from this conversation. So I'd like to thank you for being on the podcast. No, it was an absolute pleasure. I love doing this. And uh, I, you know, I think uh, it was just great speaking to you. And, uh, you know, I love doing just what I call heart to heart. And this yeah. was just, you know, very Definitely simple. One of this those. was very simple. So thank you so thank much you. again for being thank on the podcast. Well, that was an amazing episode. I had a blast sitting across the table from Rahul, literally this time around, given that he was in San Francisco, and talk to him about everything that's revenue-based financing. I thoroughly enjoyed learning about the decision-making process of revenue-based financing funds and what are the key metrics that are important to them as they're analyzing and evaluating deals. Rahul was extremely candid and was able to share a lot of his personal insights from working with founders, working with LPs, and shared some of the challenges that he faced both as a founder and as a fund manager today, building a unique fund sitting out of India. Thank you, Rahul, for giving me the opportunity to come and sit down with you in person and do this episode. This is the first time that I've done an in-person episode over the course of running this podcast for the last three years. 
It was an absolute pleasure and I hope to sit down with you sometime again in the near future and talk to you about all the learnings you've had since this episode. Well, if you're like me and you enjoyed this episode and all the other ones that we've been bringing you so far, please go ahead and rate and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. It helps others discover the show, but more importantly, keeps you updated about all of our future episode releases. We've got a great lineup of guests over the course of the next 12 weeks, so please make sure you tune back in again to see who we have here in store for you, and more importantly, what you get to learn from their experience of building and operating tech companies in India. I'll see you on the flip side, and until then, stay safe everybody, and continue to keep hustling.